We're going to do something very special tonight. We've been talking for some time about spiritual warfare. And of course, the real essence of that is, and it's in Ephesians chapter 6, we're not going to turn there tonight for the sake of time, but uh, because it's spiritual warfare, it's fighting a war in the spirit realm. And the real critical lesson of those scriptures is that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against spiritual powers and in, in uh, forces of darkness and spiritual powers of weaknesses in heavenly places, demonic spirits. Uh, that's where the real battle is. And then it goes on and talks about the armor of God, which is protective. Then it talks about two offensive weapons. One is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And, and, and what we talked about is when the Word of God is spoken, that authorizes the angelic forces to take that Word and exercise it against the spiritual enemy that's trying to assail you or that situation. And then several weeks ago, we began to look at verse 18 in, in Ephesians 6, which talks about the second offensive weapon, which it says, pray at all times with all manner of prayer. And all times doesn't mean 24 hours a day. It means in every situation. In every situation, when you'd be tempted to do something else, pray. Pray is a great spiritual weapon. It's a very powerful spiritual weapon. It's often the last thing we turn to last. Why? Because we don't understand what it is. And secondly, we don't have much confidence in it. And then it goes on saying, every day, all manner of prayer in every situation, praying in the Spirit. And several weeks ago, we began to look at that phrase, praying in the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, there's some people that teaches you automatically it means tongues. And I've got to tell you from studying the Scriptures, I cannot find Scriptures that say that's all it means. I believe that's included in it. But I believe what it's talking about is because we're fighting a, a warfare that's in the Spirit realm, that we are to engage the Spirit in that process because we're fighting an enemy we cannot see with our eyes. And yet so much of the time, we try to handle that Spirit spiritual warfare with carnal weapons. And we talked about some of those last week. We talked about our emotion. We just get mad at a situation. It's just not right. You know, this person's young. They never should have that. They never should, you know, have that sickness or, or, you know, this person's a good person. You know, they're the nicest person I ever know. Why are bad things happening to them? And we just get mad at the situation and we either scream and yell at the devil or we try to, you know, and, and emotion has nothing to do with it. There's no power in them. They make you feel better. You know, you may get hoarse from doing it and yelling, but it doesn't have any spiritual effect. So we've got to learn to do what God tells us to do because that has spiritual power. And then it's the anointing. It's the praying anointed by the Spirit of God, but it involves being flowing in the Spirit, flowing in the Spirit. But then we began to look at some scriptures that talk about in the Spirit and praying in the Spirit. And we focused in 1 Corinthians 14 where there's two specific verses and there's a more of a discussion in there. Because in those verses, the Apostle Paul talking about spiritual gifts says that, basically says to us that, that when we pray in tongues, that we're praying or talking directly to God. And then secondly, he says we're praying mysteries. Now, it's not mysteries to God. It's just mystery, and it's not mysteries to our spirit. It's mysteries to our mind. And, and it goes on to say, because when we pray in the Spirit and we speak in tongues, we speak in tongues, our spirit doesn't understand what we're saying. And we talked last week about the fact your mind, at least my mind, I'm not speaking of yours, my mind likes to be in control. It's a busybody. It wants to understand everything that's being said to it, everything is being said. You know, I was went to bed the other night, well, I go to bed every night, but I went to bed the other night, and I usually read something before I got to bed, and I downloaded this book because it was free. It was just it was free. I downloaded it, and it was about trying to understand Einstein's theory of relativity. Now, how smart is it? 
when math was not my strong suit, to right before I go to bed try to understand, I, I had trouble sleeping that night. But and I'll think, why did you do such a stupid thing? Because my mind thought, maybe I can get some under. It got curious. Because I had a free book, my mind got curious. Now, so when you're praying mysteries to God, you're, my mind, not, I don't know about yours, my mind has trouble sitting to the sideline. It wants to be understand, and if something's going on, it doesn't have its fingers in, it wants to spoil it. So my mind will tell me, look, that's, you'll come up with all kinds of things. You're just talking baby talk, you know, God's not listening, there's no, you're, you know, nobody's understanding, and my, my mind is the only thing it doesn't understand. But see, I've learned that for so many years ago, I don't pay attention to that anymore. And after a while, your mind's like a spoiled child. It'll just shut up. It doesn't get attention. And I just, it, knows, it just knows to be quiet until I'm done and then let it go. But if you're still in that stage where your mind gets involved in it, that's why it's involved. Now, there are very important times when I need to have my mind turned off. I'm dealing with a situation. I don't want my mind involved in it because my mind's not renewed enough. It's going to take me the wrong direction, especially in emergencies. I need to be able to talking directly from my spirit to God, directly, and that's what Paul says praying in tongues does that. He also talks about private use of it because he said, I sing in tongues, and I pray. when I sing of my understanding, I pray in tongues and I pray with, speak with my understanding. So we're not going to go back all over a lot of that. You can get the CD from last week or download it from, uh, from uh, a podcast from iTunes and, and listen to it. What I want to do right now is, is I want to talk. We ended last time about tongues and that it's a gift, that it's a gift for everybody. And that we're going to spend a little bit of time tonight and minister that, not the gift of tongues. We're going to minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of speaking in tongues that goes along with it. But before we do that, I want to lay some groundwork. So open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 1, if I didn't tell you to turn there already. If you were to go to the last chapter of Luke, which is written by the same author, as the book of Acts is written by Luke also, it ends with Jesus telling his disciples that, that, that he, there's a promise that the Father has from them, for them. And now here he is. He has called them. He's commissioned them. In Matthew 28, Mark 16, he's commissioned them. And now he's telling them the last important instruction. And the reason this is important is because it puts in perspective for us what tongues is all about and what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. Because one of the ways I think we get in trouble is we take a minor thing and make it a major thing. It's very important, but we elevate it to a place of significance outside of its normal order. And it's, a, it, it's, like, taking, it's like taking your tires and treating this, them as if they're the car itself. They're essential for you to get anywhere, but they're just tires. And they need attention, they need to have air, you need to make sure the tread is good but they're just tires. They're part of the car. They're not the whole car. But the devil likes to get us focused on the wrong things and then get in fights about it, get envious and jealous about it, and miss the main point of what the Bible's talking to us about. So that's what we're going to look at to begin with. Let's start here, um, verse 4. And being assembled together, so he's ready to go to be ascended into heaven. He's died paid for their sin, our sins, been raised from the dead. He's commissioned them. He's reestablished Peter. And now he's giving them his last instructions. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them. 
not suggested, not gave a teaching. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Well, in Matthew, he tells them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But what he's saying is, before you go, wait yet. You're not fully equipped. Commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. That's the second thing we see. What he's going to tell them is the promise of the Father. It's not some doctrine the Pentecostal church came up with. It's the promise of the Father. Which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he's reminding them of the baptism of John because when they were baptized by John, it was for the repentance of sin under the old covenant and it was literally being dipped down in the water, immersed in the water, saturated in the water and brought back up again. So that same process is what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is. It's not having the top of your head sprinkled. It means to be immersed in, saturated with Him, to overflowing. It's like taking a sponge when it's dry. Remember they used to, the banks used to give dried sponges? And you put it down in the water and you pull it back up. We used to do this as kids when my father, stepfather would bring them home from a bank he represented. We'd dip them down in the water and we'd pull them back up and take them out of the water and it's dripping. But that wasn't good enough. We had to go and squeeze all the water and the air out of it and put it down in the water and let it slowly soak it all up and bring it out. And you know what we were about to do with it when we did that. But the point is, it was so super saturated with water that all you had to do is move it quickly and water flew out of it. That's what baptized means. It means to be so full and saturated with something that it flows out of you. It's what John chapter 7, Jesus meant when he said, and out of your belly, out of your inner being shall flow rivers of living water. And that he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit who had not yet come because he'd not yet been raised from the dead. Well, he's now been raised from the dead and the Holy Spirit's now come. Therefore, when he come together, he asked them, saying, Lord, well, they said, Lord, is it time for the kingdom of Israel to come? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the season that the Father's put in his own authority. Verse 8, but you shall receive, this is why you need him, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and he shall, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's what the church is lacking today, among other things, is power. It's the power to do, carry out the commission. It's the power to go out and not be intimidated. It's the power to go out and when we speak the gospel, it affects people's lives. I've been reading after a man named Smith Wigglesworth. I've been read him many times before. And a story he tells over and over again as he was so filled with the Spirit of God. So he attributes every, his, the miracles to, he attributes the success to. It was just being baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it's something, it's a constant process. It's a renewing of that. He was sitting in a train, walking down a cart of a moving train. Two priests were sitting there. He never said a word to them. And as he walked by them, they fell out on the floor behind him and yelled out, man, what must we do to be saved? That's power. He walked into a plant one day. And there were a bunch of teenage girls, you know, giggling because he was kind of funny looking. And he didn't say a word. He just stood there and stared. And pretty soon they stopped giggling and started shaking. They went to the ground. Others came over. They started just shaking. They started crying out. People started crying out to be saved. He hadn't opened his mouth yet. 
That's power from on high. And the church has been so intimidated, we stay within our four walls and have a nice bless me club because we don't have confidence to go out in a world that's trying to intimidate us. And we have, we're offered power from on high. And that word power in Greek is the word dunamis from which we get dynamite. It's the dynamite of God, not the church's dynamite. It's the dynamite of God, but it's to carry out His purpose. And I think one of the ways we've gotten off track is we've used the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what goes with it and the gifts of the Spirit to entertain ourselves. And this is not for entertainment purposes. It will entertain, but that's not its purpose. It's to take the gospel out there and have results. Paul said, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came to you in the demonstration. That's something people can see and the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to move along. Okay. Now, so they did what he said. They waited. And over in Acts 2, the result comes. And on the day of Pentecost, when it had fully come, which, by the way, represented the first fruits, when that had come and they were with one accord in one place, that's significant, there suddenly came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and it sat on each one of them. I've seen pictures like these little big flames on top. God's not a little big flame. (laughs) Look at verse 4. And they were... How many? How many? All filled. Everyone that was in that room was filled. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Who spoke? They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. Sometimes I think people get afraid that the Holy Spirit is just going to kind of overcome me and take control of my tongue and take control of me and I'm never going to get it back. Well, that wouldn't be such a bad thing if he did. <clears throat> but they spoke as he gave the utterance. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. All right, let's move on. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, so other people heard it, the multitude came together and confused because they heard, each one heard the the disciples speaking in their own native language. Not the disciples' language, the language of where these people came from. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all those speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in our own language which they were, in which we were born? So they were not just gibberish. They were speaking a foreign language that they never learned by going to school. They didn't have Rosetta Stone or Burlitz or whatever they had in the day. They didn't learn anything. The point here is it was supernatural. It was supernatural as a sign to those people that didn't know what was going on as believers and what they heard, they heard, it goes on to say, God being praised and glorified in their native language, realizing these people are Galileans, which in that day and age was understood not to be a compliment. That's like they're saying, we're saying we're so, there's some hicks out there from the country boys and, and they're speaking our language. So the point here is it was supernatural and it was an obvious demonstration of supernatural. A demonstration that God is here and God is working. But it gave glory to Him and it gave glory to Jesus. Okay. Speaking of the wonderful works of God. 
they were all amazed and perplexed and said to one another, what could this mean? And they have this debate, and some of them say they're drunk. So they must have been acting in a way that looked like people that were drunk. Whether they were staggering or giggling, whether they were the exuberance of joy, they must have looked as if they were drunk because people that understood what drunk people look like accused them of being drunk. And Peter stands up and says, they're not drunk as you suppose. So they were drunk, but not as you suppose. They were drunk on a spirit, but not the spirits they were taking about. And he goes on to explain to them in verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Well, we're more in the last days than they were. That I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And yours on how much flesh? How much flesh? Not just the apostles. Right? Not just the first generation. All flesh. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on your men servants and maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. There's a new gift, of, there's a tenth gift of the spirit there. They shall prophesy. We're already in tongues. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth beneath, and go on and on and on. Verse 33, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, he says, and having received the fa- from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out, not will pour out, he poured out that which you now see and hear. So there must have been something about God's pouring out the Spirit as prophesied by Joel that they could see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And when they heard this, it says, they were cut to the heart and, Peter, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men, of, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's a sign the Spirit of God is moving when people don't just say, oh, praise God, thank you, but they say, what do we do? They leave changed. They leave under conviction. All right, we see it. What do we do as a result of that? That's the power of the Holy Spirit touching someone's heart, not just titillating their eyes and their ears and their senses. Because you can come to a service and see wonderful signs and wonders, get goosebumps and jump and shout and run around, you know, and have a wonderful time and leave here and do the same things tomorrow you did yesterday. But when the Spirit is working, people are convicted, unbelievers and even believers, because He's the Holy Spirit and fire. He brings a cleansing to the church. He brings a purifying to the church. He brings a power to the church. And above all, He brings love to the church. The love of Christ. And He causes, excuse me, He causes results in people. What must we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Don't hear that much often, do you? And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's the baptism in the water. And you shall receive the gift of you shall receive the gift. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you, those that had gathered around Him, and to all your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. There's no, at the, at only to this age. Only, because by the way, we're in the same age. 
only while the apostles of the Lamb are alive. No, he says, to as many as the Lord shall call to him, this gift is given as a promise from God. Okay, let's go look at what happened then. Let's go look at a couple of examples. So we see that it's for all flesh, it's supernatural, and it's a gift of what the Father promised. Let's go over to Acts chapter uh, 10. This is when the, the word is now taken for the first time to Gentiles. And that was a supernatural event because Cornelius, who was a, um, sent, is, was a Roman officer, is praying, asking for God to move in their lives. And God speaks to Peter, who's 30 or 40 miles away, and tells him to come and speak to Cornelius. And that's what Peter does. And when Peter speaks, something happens he wasn't expecting. Peter puts them all out. He knelt down. Uh, I'm in the wrong chapter. I'm in chapter 9. That's why it doesn't fit. Verse 44. While Peter was speaking these words, he didn't even finish his sermon, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. And those who were of the circumcision were astonished. That was the Jews. Because they didn't know that God would do this for, the, for Gentiles. They were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy... The what? The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Look at 46. 46. How did they know that? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Let's go over to chapter 19. So when they were filled with the Holy Spirit originally, the whole community knew it because they heard them speaking with tongues. When the word is brought to the Gentiles for the first time, the Jews knew that they'd received the Holy Spirit because they heard them speaking with tongues. Peter's in the prophecy prophecy said that, that you will see and hear the Spirit. So in Acts chapter 19, Paul has now come to Ephesus. And it happened while Apollos was at the church, verse 1, in, in Corinth. And Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, finding the disciples, said to him, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We've not as much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So they believed in Christ, but they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. That was my testimony too. I've been saved for a while. I didn't ever know there was a Holy Spirit. That just sounded kind of spooky to me because I wasn't raised in a church where they, Oh, I'm sure it was in the liturgy we spoke, but I never paid attention to the liturgy anyway. Neither did anybody else. And, and, and I got a hold of a book. That, not I can get a hold of it. God kept putting it across my path. Three times in Barnes & Noble, this little book on the Holy Spirit. And, and finally, I picked it up because it was only $2 on my way out. So if, the, if that book had been $3, I may never have been filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> God's gracious to fools such as I was. Cheap ones, let's put it that way. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Verse 3, and he said to them, into what then were you baptized? They said, we were baptized into John's baptism, a baptism of repentance. So Paul said, John indeed baptized for repentance and saying to the people that you should believe on him and who would come after him, that's Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. 
there are six examples in the book of Acts of people being filled with the Holy Spirit. Three of them I've just read to you. In those three cases, there is evidence of speaking in tongues. Three of them, there's not specific evidence, but I'll tell you why. In Acts chapter 4, people already filled with the Spirit have gathered together to pray for Peter to be delivered because he's been arrested. And when Peter comes to them and is released and reports to them the threat that's been made against the church, they start praying and asking for boldness, and they're filled again. So they were already filled with the Holy Spirit, most likely. The next example is in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, the gospel comes to Samaria. The Samaritans are saved. And, and the, 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 they send for the apostles to come, and they pray for them, and it says, and they're, they're filled, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say anything about speaking in tongues, but something must have happened because there's a man there named Simon, not Simon Peter, who looks at what's happened and comes to Peter and says, I've got some money here. I want to buy the power that you used by which you did that. So Simon must have seen or heard something that was evidence. They didn't just sit there and smile on their face because somebody sits there with a smile on their face. You're not going to pay money to be able to put smile on people's faces. But to see something supernatural happen. So there had to be some supernatural evidence of what happened. Supernatural evidence of what happened. So most likely that's what it was. The last thing is in Acts chapter 9, which says in the Apostle Paul, God told Ananias to go lay hands on Paul that he may be healed from his eyes and that he may be filled with the Spirit. And it doesn't say that Paul spoke in tongues, but Paul's own testimony in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in verse 18 says, I speak in tongues more than you all did. So, the point is this. There's ample evidence that, that when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, the evidence of that is speaking in tongues. Let me talk for a minute about some issues, and then we're going to go ahead and pray for people. Over in James chapter 3, you don't need to turn there, James talks about this proposition that, the, that, that he said, who can control the tongue? He said, it's like the rudder on a ship, this small piece of wood on a ship can change the direction of the whole ship. It's like the bridle in the mouth of a horse. This mighty thousand-pound animal with great force can be redirected because this bridle that controls his tongue. He said in the same way, he said, a tongue, our tongue sets the world on fire. It releases things. And he said, basically he's saying that, that because we can't control our tongue, that's evidence we can't control our body. I was meditating on that one day, and I thought, you know what? If that's true, then the converse of that ought to be true. The opposite of that ought to be true. That if we can, excuse me, if we can, he's saying if you can control your tongue, you can control your body. And I began to realize, then the opposite of that must be true. If I can surrender my tongue, then I'm surrendering my body. And I shared with you last week my own testimony of after I was laid hands on to be filled with the Spirit, I know I was filled with the Spirit, and I know I could have spoken tongues, I just lacked the confidence. There are many of you out there, you may be prayed for tonight, you've already been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you just don't have confidence that you can do it. 
because your mind is blocking it for reasons, and that was my issue. My problem, as I shared last week, is that it would start to bubble up in me because I was with a group of people that were all filled with the Spirit, and we're all, they're all praying in tongues, and I'm, you know, and I just keep... <laughs> it's like choking right here. And, and finally, as I shared last week, I, just, I was so frustrated. They spit on me, laid hands on me, probably anointed me with everything they could find. I mean, you know, it's just, and I, I don't know if they gave up on me, you know. Uh, and and I, I just finally had to have it out with God and said, you know, what's, what's, what's going on here? And you said, it's amazing if you ask him and you're serious, God will answer you. And he said, here's the problem. You have an image of yourself as a sophisticated lawyer you're skilled and trained in being articulate in what you said. As I shared last week, I was raised that way in my family. We corrected each other around the dinner table. That was our entertainment for the night. And, and so words are very important to me, and God uses that for what I do now. But he said, the issue is the words that are bubbling up in you don't sound sophisticated and educated. And so your mind is holding them back down. I said, what do I do? He said, how did you get saved? I said, I simply read the promise and believed it. He said, what does it mean to believe it? I said, it means you act as if it's so. He said, that's right. And I said, you mean I just have to act as if it's so? He said, that's right. I opened my mouth and an hour and a half later, it's still flowing strong. Now the next question is, can I stop? <laughs> and then I remembered the verse I read to you. And they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. So I stopped. Now, can I do it again? Open my mouth and there it was, the flow, and it's been there ever since. So the issue with me was confidence and, and, and surrendering control. I don't like to, I, I'm, I like, I don't, I'm not a control freak. I don't want to have everything, but I want to be in control. I don't want to ever be out of control. I mean, that's just my, my natural buildup. But the flow with God, you've got to let go of control. You've got to trust Him. And to let my tongue go to Him is a step in letting me go to him. Next thing I want to point out to you, we've covered some of this, it's a promise from the Father, and God doesn't lie. God doesn't make promise. In fact, in Luke's gospel, where Luke's account of Matthew 7, where Jesus said, Jesus said, it's in red, Jesus said it. He said, he said, um, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll, knock and you'll, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will open to you. For everyone that asks receives, everyone that seeks finds. What, what child among you, if, if you ask your father for a loaf of bread, will he give you a stone? Or if, he asks you for a, for, if you ask you for a fish, he'll give you a serpent. If you, being evil, compared to God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father in heaven good, good gifts to your father? Luke's account of that doesn't say good gifts. It says the Holy Spirit. So if you ask, because he's a good father, he will give. Not only that, He wants you to have the fullness of it because that's part of how the power flows. Power in your life to overcome. Power for the Spirit of God to move through you to minister to other people. So God wants you to have that freedom. God, He's not holding back. Most cases, it's, it's our mind. It's unbelief. It's fear. It's doubt. I want to give you a couple of practical things and then we're going to go ahead and, and, and pray for people. Again, Acts chapter, it's a gift and all gifts are received by faith. Richard, stand up a second. Come up here. 
Let's come up here so that you see it. Now, this is just an example. Sure. Okay? okay. Richard, I want to make a gift to you of this watch. I love, this is a watch I really enjoy it because it's got big numbers, big things I can see without my glasses. Sure. Okay? It's one of these watches that doesn't need a battery because it's solar. He's liking it already. Okay? All right? I'm going to make a gift of it to you. Now, wait, what do you do? He just reached out and took it. It was, a, it was an example, Richard. <laughs> that seems like a really simple little exercise, but it's profound. Because what we do is God hands us a gift, and first of all, if we don't believe it's ours, we'll keep our hands in our pocket. Well, you know, I don't know that I'm ready. I don't know that I'm worthy. I haven't prayed enough. I haven't waited. Well, what about tarrying? It says, if you read in Acts, it says, they waited in Jerusalem, but the Spirit hadn't been poured out yet. He's here. He's here. We don't have to wait for Him to come. He's here. Because the rest of them didn't wait. Paul didn't wait. Cornelius and his family didn't wait. I mean, Peter didn't say, you know, uh, Cornelius, this is what it is. Now, you guys need to hang around for a while like we did and do what we did. In fact, before Peter had finished preaching, the Holy Spirit fell, and they began to speak with other tongues. So we don't need to wait. We just need to receive a free gift. Well, it's been paid for. It's expensive, but we didn't have to pay for it. And the way you receive a free gift is you've got to, first of all, believe it's yours enough just to reach out and take it. No conditions. No limitations. It's a free gift. And that means you just act as if it's yours. So when I lay hands on you to pray for you, I'm not praying for you because the pattern is they laid hands on them in many cases. Not every case. We're going to believe the way I lay hands on you. That's a point of contact because at that moment, you're going to believe, God, I've received this gift. I've received this gift. Now you've got to act as if it's so. Faith acts as if I've already got it. And at first, because your mind may hold back, you may not hear anything, but you still have it. You've got to get over the fact that, oh, I don't have it. You have it. If you're a Christian, this is not for people that aren't saved. You've got to be saved. And you ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants you filled with the Holy Spirit. He needs you filled with the Holy Spirit to do what He's called us to do. It's a gift. It's free. It's received by faith. They spoke. So you have to open your mouth and speak. He doesn't do it for you. Remember we learned about how he, enters, he helps us. He takes hold together with us against it. It's not a sign of your spirituality. So don't come up here and say, you know, if I don't get it, this is real pressure on me. If I don't get it this time, that means God doesn't love me. If I, there's something wrong with me. That's the devil trying to rob you of something that's already yours you have a right to. If you haven't flowed in the fullness of it it's not because God doesn't love you it's not because you're spiritual not spiritual enough it's not because you unless you've done something wrong then you can take care of it from there to here it's real simple but sometimes people feel pressure I can see them straining and you it's so hard it's like it's like trying ever try hard to go to sleep the harder you try to go to sleep the more you stay awake Why? It's just something you do. So the harder you try to speak in tongues, the more difficult you're going to make it for yourself. Okay. The other thing and the last thing is, 
having talked about tongues now, that's not really what it's all about. What's about is the filling of the Holy Spirit, of His power, His love, His, 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 His boldness. The, this is just a tool that goes with the Holy Spirit. The issue is not the tongues. The issue is the Holy Spirit. And the tongues are a benefit that comes along. It's to help stir up the gift in you. It's to be able to have that private conversation with God. But it's not... Some people teach that, you know, well, if you don't speak in tongues, that means you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe if you don't speak in tongues, it means you don't believe you... You don't have no confidence yet. Because I believe you can. I believe everybody that's been filled with the Spirit can speak with other tongues. They just don't know they can or don't yet believe they can. 